The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson. Each week on the podcast, we visit a different foodie city and explore the cuisine that makes that place special, whether it be custard tarts in Lisbon, mango beer in Mumbai, or lizard curry in Guatemala. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. <laughs> Welcome to Brian's show where he just plays music for us. I always wanted to be a DJ, actually. And the crack of the can. Like, and it's like being at the baseball park. The crack of the can. Crack of the bat. We're ready to go. Welcome to the Winemakers. This is Brian Casey with Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen. We got Nate and Matt from Groove Wines to talk about cans. And Sam, you brought your cans. Bart, I don't see your cans. I only have a four-pack, though. It doesn't quite measure up to the six-pack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a couple cans short of the six-pack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have any cans. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome, you guys. Thanks for being on. Um, Thanks I, for having us. Yeah. yeah um, I want to say that our first connection was over Instagram, probably, or social media, right? Or no, maybe Twitter? Nate, I think it was you reached out. Yeah, I mean, because I've listened to you guys for a while, so I'm a little bit of a fanboy. So if I'm a little starstruck early <laughs> oh, on, Jesus. just, you know, give me a give Long me a time slack. listener, first time interviewed. <laughs> first time exactly. caller, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, I I lurk on Wine Twitter and, and Instagram, and so, yeah, it was via one of those social channels. Yeah, and, and, and it was a while back, and because it's taken you guys get to this point where you're actually ready to ready to get out and launch it and you know we're happy to have you here doing some of it with us and then and then matt was a guest previously um first time we've met him in person because uh, the first time was over zoom um with uh benevolent neglect um and so welcome good to see yeah, you nice to actually meet you guys in person well, yeah. I, met you, I met you before it yeah uh, uh, garage east yes yeah. at garage east yeah that's right back when we did those kind of things right when we did social tastings in the before four yeah actually i think i approached you and said i want to have you on the podcast and i think yeah. you looked at me like why would i want to do that <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that's just his resting uh i've been accused resting of resting face. Bitch face for yeah. for a long time so i think i'm, I'm not heard, gonna i've heard not that gonna one. pretend i just need to lean into it i've heard that once or twice myself so. yeah. i mean when i when steve hired me for matthias and he he's like he hired me for my grumpiness specifically so he's like we need someone we need someone that's going to be a little bit grumpy to kind of level things out a bit and 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 see i maybe that's ultimately um why you guys are all here is because of this steve matthiason connection because i've wanted to have him on the show but i've never really gone to the point of actually reaching out to him for whatever reason so we're just circling. Eventually, he's, eventually we're going to get on his radar, and he's going to say, "Hey, can I be on your show?" So we're, um, we're like the double A, um, right. Matthias, an interview here. <laughs> we have danced around Matthias over the years. We, we really have, and yeah. um, and and I've met him a couple times. Um, he was originally involved with the planting at the Idell family's vineyard here in Sonoma. Oh, right. And, um, and, and he did a couple of the little lunches there for the vendors and growers. And, um, 
he's a wealth of information. So um, good yeah, for you guys. You need to block out like two, two and a half hours for that podcast. If you get him rolling on anything in the vineyard, for sure. I can talk about Ribola Giala for a while too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you the, should. Uh, well, you're the Blanc wine guy, right? I'm the Blanc, the Blanc wine guy. That's right. I saw guy. that. <laughs> and shout out to MJ Tower, Black wine guy. I am, uh, I am the Blanc wine guy. That was very, very uh, cute. Whoever posted that, the I, can't, other day. I can't remember who said that about you, but uh, you know, they follow the wines you drink. You're a Ribiola Giala kind of guy, right? A Ribiola Giala, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Sam. Imagine you're an alien who just landed on the planet, free from all of our earthling preconceived notions. Okay, let me, let me, okay, I'm there. Okay. The first thing in which you become interested in is wine. So what makes more sense to you? A one-size-fits-all carrying case or different size vessels that can be tailored to your desire or occasion? Uh, if I was an alien who just landed here and I got interested in wine, I probably just would want to put a tank on my saucer and take it, take it out <laughs> Grab of here. a barrel. Grab a barrel. <laughs> Book, yeah, I got barrel space in <laughs> Boogie. <laughs> I love who who did that that uh, blog. Oh, that was me. That, that was my uh, yeah van down by the river uh, blog I, that I started. I yeah. love it. And I love that someone else um, references the, the reason that we have a 750 mil bottle. And I, I don't think any of us know if it's actually true or not, but supposedly it's one breath of a glass maker's. Um, so, so when they were making the bottles, that was one breath, and that's why we have that particular size There's bottle. There's no possible way that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds so good. It is. Right? It, it sounds very, like, tired of the romance in this Romanticized <laughs> French and then, And then that's how Magnums came about. It was bigger guys, right, that had oh, bigger lungs, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to meet the Jerobom guy, you know? Right, I know. That's a beast. <laughs> But I, but I, I think, th of course, the blog was meant to be funny and entertaining, but it, and but it was sort of educational and thought provoking as well. And so, I mean, it, I think that's a good jumping off point. Why you want to talk about why you decided to get into cans? Yeah, the, you know, the natural first question is why cans, and um, you know, for me, the and before groove doesn't exist in glass; it's only in cans, right? Not yet. Not yet. Yes. Yeah. We're exploring all avenues. I mean, ideally, we're we're not trying to cast ourselves as a can company per se. Uh, well, you're doing a horrible job of that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I mean, just looking at the table. <laughs> well, as it turns out, you can't get glass right now, so we were. Right. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> we were. We'll talk about it when we get into the Pinot. You know, we we do want to. We do recognize that canning may not have the long-term aging potential of other formats, and so some wines like our Pinot that we were able to get last year. We want to be able to see what it's like under cork and go through the traditional maturation process. And we want to explore all different avenues. I think box wine is a, is a, a lane we're going to go down as soon as we can figure out a efficient way to, to pouch them. Right. Um, and, and more just challenging the dynamic that a high quality wine has to be in glass and in glass only. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really the same thing as the alien example, right? It's, um, you know, I don't think everything should be in a can. Right. You know, obviously bottles make sense. You know, my wife and I, you know, bottles perfect. So I think long term we would love to have a, a modular packaging program. You know, 250 milliliter cans make sense. The 375s are, 
you know, that can fill a half bottle demand and the economics are a little bit easier with, with cans for the producer than half, half bottle glass. Um, so, you know, we're all used to bottles, right? So that's the, the mental model everyone comes with, but you know, what if everything we bought was one size, right? You go buy a steak, you got to buy an eight pound prime rib, right? You can't buy, you know, two steaks. So I just feel like that there's a niche for cans. You know, they do make sense, um, you know, in a lot of different scenarios. And um, so we're giving it a go. Well, yeah. Sam, you, you had, you told me there was something that made you to decide to do your cans. And, and it, it was some reference to serving size, wasn't it? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, we had uh, Rob McMillan on from Silicon Valley Bank, right? When he was releasing, this was sometime last year during the pandemic. He had just released his annual business report. And one of the, their findings was consumers are demanding more versatility in serving size. And especially, you know, a 750 bottle is maybe more than most people are going to want to open on a regular basis. But when you have a 250 milliliter can or 250 milliliter, anything, whatever you want to put it in, or if it's in a pouch in a box, it has, you know, stain power. Uh, there's, there's a commitment to opening a 750. And, you know, we, we know this when we're on the road, you know, with distributors selling wine, they open that bottle. You have a day or two to sell, wine from that bottle right because unless you're corvin unless you're corvin but which it, doesn't work from i would say probably half the wines in the world in my opinion yeah right so i i do think that there is um you know long story short is there is a, a demand for less commitment more uh, accessible vessels and yeah and I, and I think um you know decision fatigue is real i think we're kind of all feeling that after the last year plus um you know so part of our ethos if you want to call it that is just to make wine a little bit less burdensome you know so having a, a can around the house it's like an omnipresent you know glass of wine without having to do the you know the calculus on should i open a bottle am i going to be home the next couple of days is it going to go bad oh i paid 25 bucks for that so it sort of lightens that load. Like I had a glass of wine at lunch yesterday and I didn't really have to think about it, right? Cause it's just a glass, then it's gone. I'm not gonna be tempted to drink more. Um, and then back to work, you know, so cans sort of take that mental weight away. What I've found in just the few weeks that we've had our cans out in the world is there's an immediacy to it. Like w when we send out a wine club shipment and there's six amazing bottles that are probably gonna last a long time, people, you know, maybe you get on social media like a, a unboxing photo or picture and then those bottles get stashed away and, and you don't see them again. Um, and, and you know, not that this is like what we're doing this for, but there's nothing more gratifying than, you know, a, a flat of cans shows up at a customer's house and two days later, they're posting a picture poolside with it or yep. whatever they're doing. There's something about it. Just it's it's there. It's easy to grab. It's it doesn't have. I think it's it's the commitment piece of it and it makes it an immediate decision. Yeah. 
we're the uh, we're the first wine company in the world that wants to demystify wine and make it easier for people to have access to the industry and get rid of all of the snobbery involved and all that bullshit. I mean, a lot of people have talked about doing that, but I guess to some point you guys really are doing that, right? It's a fine line to walk um, because you know, as the winemaker, I'm committed to all of our sourcing and we're committed to not being known as a can company, as we just kind of alluded to. I, ultimately, we're a winery. And yeah. And ultimately, we, we want to make the best quality wine that we can and kind of segment that away from the fact that it just also happens to be in a can or it happens to be in a pouch or it happens to be in a bottle. I want that to kind of be irrelevant. And the cans help take away that sticker shock, too, of, oh, do I want to spend $25, $30 for a bottle of, of real wine? You know, you spend six ninety nine for a can, try it, see if you like it take it somewhere, not have to worry about a corkscrew. Like how many market visits have I been on where even the rep who's selling the wine doesn't have a corkscrew in their bag and you have to ask the guy, the bartender at the first restaurant. <laughs> it's everybody. I, I mean, I keep one in my car cause I'm a lush, but I don't expect that out of everyone. I, I keep losing the one in my car maybe because I'm a lush and a stoner. <laughs> that, that could be it. But there is, um, the, again, it, it just cans go places mm-hmm where a bottle isn't necessarily always appropriate or, or convenient. Um, you know, my dream of making a wine and can started on a beach in Hawaii where, you know, it's, it's just me and my wife. We're, we're, you know, you have a can or two of something, you crush it up, you put it in your bag, you know, you leave no trace, there's no corkscrew, there's no cork, there was no glass, you know, it, it definitely removes a bunch of these obstacles that is part of the mystification right. of wine, right? I mean, part of, and, you know, 750 milliliters was the size of the glass blower's lungs. I mean, there is this rom- romance of the wine industry that, um, A, we perpetuate, and B, serves us well in a lot of places, but... Um, you know, in, in the battle against white claws, white claws, uh, yeah, this is, um, you know, this is definitely a place we need to be doing better and needs to be done better with, with better wine, which is, you know, what, what we're here about. So what is, what's in our glass right now? We're drinking, it's pink, it's sparkling, there's 17 varieties, 400 varieties. What did you put in there? (laughs) It's uh, it's about five varietals. Um, so I'm going to try to rip this off the top of my head and not cheat and use I the know QR code. I know if you'd like me to go. No, I should probably okay. know this. <laughs> I don't want to step Mental up gymnastics. Kunwa's, Sinso, uh, Grenache, a little bit of Pinot, and I'm missing one. Carignan. Carignan. Yeah. You're sourcing Eagle Point? No. We are, this all comes from Windmill. Windmill. Out in uh, Yolo County. Oh, cool. So this is a CCOF vineyard that is about 15 minutes from downtown Woodlands. I just used air quotes since no one can see that. <laughs> I mean, Esparto, um, I mean, uh, right? So, yeah. so it's, uh, it's the foothills of the, of foothills the Vacas. Of, of Eastern Pope Valley, yeah, the Vacas. Yeah, yeah as the crow flies. It's about 30 minutes, what, just east of the southern part of Lake Berryessa. Right, right. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of like, it's really the only AVA in sort of the North Yolo County on that west side. It's a super hot site which makes it perfect for light, fresh rosés, light reds, light whites. And, uh, yeah, so we, we did most of it from there. I, I mean, wasn't the, like, the, the, a lot of that planting was done up there when, was it Toasted Head 
kind of came out of that area. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna have to take I'm, a word I'm distracted. For that one, yeah, yeah. It, but but yeah, there is there's some fairly large plantings up there. There are. There's a lot of olives up there as well. It's a pretty cool little area. It's a beautiful spot, actually. Yeah, a really beautiful spot, and it, it kind of challenges what your perspective of the Central Valley or the Sacramento Valley would be on that side. Because you think of the Makalume, you think of Lodi and Clarksburg and those like riverbed pockets where growing quality wine is is more attainable. You don't really think about the, the hot sort of west side of the valley. But, hmm. yeah, the quality is definitely there, and, you know, we're... The whole point of rosé for me is something that's light and crisp and you know we we carbonate this one and we also do the still version and we're going for low alcohol high acid and like pool wines you know i don't want to wax poetic about rosé because I, I really feel like there's not that much to wax about <laughs> so nate meant yeah we can agree to disagree as they say now i just <laughs> I, I drink a lot of rosé and I, and I love it and um you know the windmill vineyard is the source of probably my favorite california rosé um so super psyched to be you know sourcing fruit from from that spot it's a, wait uh, you gotta mention yeah it's Ooh. called groove <laughs> oh. <laughs> like wait a minute who what yeah, was your so also you know the way i ended up at, with working for steve was i was just a fan of his wines for a long time um and i've been drinking his rosé for i don't know a long, a long, a long time. So his his rosé is one of my favorites, and um, and you know he sources most of his fruit for from Windmill. Okay, that's Wait, so you guys Steve both Mathiasen. both worked for Steve Mathiasen? Yeah, that's where we uh, that's where the magic of our relationship began was was working for Steve. Yeah, yeah Nate was my intern for a couple of seasons. I think the first time Matt saw me, I was um, I started out in the vineyard, so I was walking down the hill uh, for lunch, just you know, old dude sweating bullets clearly um enjoying enjoying his uh his his farming experience and i just remember matt was on the forklift and he just kind of like gave me a little glance and a smile to himself and went back inside <laughs> <laughs> I, I i think this is a good point a good time to say that you know matt um i don't remember how you got into the wine business now um, but we can come back to that because sure. we did discuss it when you were on with Benevolent Neglect. But you came into the wine business as a second career, so to speak, right? Yep. Um, had a perfectly good job and then decided to take a harvest job, right? Yeah. Um, it's uh, still, it could be a midlife crisis. I don't know. I might be a little young for that. but uh, I was going to say old for that. but Yeah. <laughs> it all depends on your perspective. Um, yeah. So I... You know, I became a food and wine nerd at my late twenties. Um, so I found myself, you know, reading a lot about food and wine, and a lot less about my my old job in in the commodities business. Um, so the decision was: Do I accept my my current lot in life, or do I, you know, make a change and and do something I'm more passionate about? And um, probably under the influence of too much wine, I decided to to leave that job and and. Uh, and take my first harvest position. So that was 2017 with Donkey and Goat in Berkeley. Uh, cool. Um, it was funny, like the first time I talked to Jared Brandt, he called me and he said, he said, you realize that this is about 50% cleaning, right? 50? <laughs> Gross undersell. Yeah, because well, he, knew, he knew my situation and, and I think he had, you know, they had left their job in tech to, to become winemakers. And, 
And, uh, you know, I was an educated civilian, so I said, yeah, no, I understand, like, what, what I'm getting into. And um, so we had a sort of conversation, and that was that. And I um, moved to Berkeley for a couple months from Houston, and, um, and the rest is a short history, I guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, any thoughts on that? I mean, did it meet your expectations? I mean, you obviously continued on. You you started a, a business, but you know, was was Harvest much more? Was working in production and wineries was it much more than what you thought it was? Were you were there? Yeah. Was there a moment where you went, "What the fuck?" Yeah, yeah. Or or what the fuck? You know, I mean, you know, it was a great experience. It, you know, I grew up in a small town, blue collar background, um, you know, but sort of being in a consumer of food and wine and sort of higher end restaurants, you know, it's obvious, you know, the picture of wine is that romantic version that we were talking about earlier. And, you know, as you guys know, making wine is nothing like that. So working in a winery reminded me of, you know, growing up in Riverton, Kansas, you know, the one stoplight town. And, you know, it's a very, very much a dirty hands, hard work, um, you know, no, no cosmetics or bullshit, uh, endeavor. So the juxtaposition of drinking wine and Ooh. making wine. Excellent. Not his first rodeo. The guy just busted an eardrum. I went to state school in the <laughs> South. I know how to open cans. <laughs> you know, so that experience with, you know, the juxtaposition of drinking wine and, in you know, nice restaurants versus, you know, the people who really make it. Uh, was actually a very sort of cool eye-opening, eye-opening deal. Yeah. What are you busting open there? Uh, this is the Arroyo Seco Sauvignon Blanc. Ah, Arroyo Seco. So I know that area for pick pool from uh, Randall Graham at Bonnie Dune. Or so don't we part? Don't we drive, drive sort of near? Arroyo Seco when we head down to yeah, Paso? Yeah, it's it's to the uh, west of us as we're heading south. Okay, yeah. So uh, d just to finish up on the rosé, um, is the are, is the sparkling and the flat rosé the same wine, just one of them carbonated? Yeah, it's okay. the same blend. Um, candidly, uh, is that a pun? Candidly? Candidly. Oh, it is now. Yes, you, yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> si se puede. Um, <laughs> We're still not really sure where the can world is going to take us. And so we're, in a lot of ways, closing our eyes and throwing darts. Um, so we wanted to hedge our bets and see who's going to like what. And also kind of keep some modularity to it and some flexibility with it and not go too pot committed in one way or the other. So we're not trying to can. We didn't can our entire 2020 harvest. We canned about a third of it. And we're going to can more of it later. And we're trying to figure out not only the product mix, but shelf stability, shelf life, you know, issues with oxidation or reduction and all those types of things. It's, uh, there's a lot more thought that's going into canned wine and it's on the winemaking side, a, a whole new way to kind of use your brain in a lot of the senses. Uh, well, and that's what's, I'm having fun with it in that um, we get to experiment with things in a way that, you know, the stodgy old wine industry, um, we don't get to do as much, uh, you know, we, as soon as we put our wine in cans, we um, put a can up there on the rain gutter on the roof in the sun for a week 
through that heat spike we had last week as you know a couple days of in the mid to low 90s low to mid 90s and only at 16600 and then we pulled it down put it in the fridge and remembered where it was remember <laughs> paul remembered which one was which which was the miracle and and we opened it next to uh you were here when we did it right we opened it next to uh you know this is obviously it's very fresh we opened it next to a fresh can um and there was hard there was no color difference there was um, maybe a little bit of sort of like softening and rounding of some yeah. of the acidity. Um, but what to me that says is we can ship this in the summer. Yeah. You know, and We've, I've been having that conversation yeah. and I've, I haven't done it yet, but that was my plan was just to put them back on the, you know, in the bright sun for however many hours I can get them out of Petaluma and see what happens. Right, you got you to gotta come onto this side of the yeah, yeah, probably so. to really yeah. test it. Just throw them in the ditch somewhere and go back and get them a week later. Um, but 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 to, to back to Matt's point, you know, part of what we want to do is we want to make wines that people want to drink. And you know, there's it's easy to think that for cans that makes sense with lighter wines, whites, rosés, you know, etc. Um, you know, so much you hear winemakers say, you know, I make wines that I want to drink, and that makes sense too, and I understand that. And and ideally, we would be somewhere where the Venn diagram of those two things is a circle, but that may not be the case. So if we start to hear that, you know, people want more of the, you know, a Zinfandel, I don't like something that we maybe hadn't considered, then we want to make that because we want to give people what they want. So, you know, we're starting with what we think makes sense. And hopefully we'll start a conversation with, you know, our customers and, and they can teach us. Right. Like, but I think it's, it's, for me, it's a sense of place in that if you're hanging out at the pool and, and we find this at the, at the hotel that on tap, so we have wine and kegs and the only three kegs that I have hooked up are a, a, a rosé, a Pinot Blanc and a Chardonnay. Cause people that are out at the pool, typically, you know, it's like 90% want white light, yeah. crisp acid cause they're sitting in the sun and swimming. Um, and then we have the reds are still in bottle cause we just don't sell that many of them. So I think for, you know, if you're selling to a place that has a pool or you're trying to hit a market where people are taking it to the beach or a ball game or something like yep. that, then whites, rosé, sparkling makes sense. And then if they're, if you're talking about a retail outlet where people are buying a can to take home and have with dinner, then I think maybe the transition into red makes a little more sense. But I, I just sort of see the white pink and sparkling being the majority of the market and then yep. the other ones becoming you know something like 20 percent or, or yeah. something and like that's that. the hypothesis that we're operating under like i totally agree yeah um and i mean in what in our small amount of sales those percentages are actually that's what's happening um not statistically significant um at this point uh but the home market like there's two different ways to think of it in my mind it's you know on premise or at the, you know or portability on a hike and you know at the beach but then how do people behave at home you know right. you know because i see canned wine sitting in the pantry right next to your favorite sparkling sparkling water salty snacks and you reach in and you grab it and you have a glass of wine and a lot of people like red blends for example you know just that sort of american cote d'aron sort of you know fruity nice fruit and and so you know, five years from now, you know, maybe, maybe that happens. Like, I don't know, but, um, it'll be interesting. Well, and even drinking the reds, like I, I appreciate drinking red wine when it's 
tasting it out of the barrel or more more like cellar temperature so like 56 degrees so i can see grabbing a can of red out of the refrigerator not even out of the pantry and just pouring it in a glass and starting it off with it that temperature yeah that's what we have on that's sort of i mean i don't we don't want to tell people how to drink their wine that's right when we're going to get away from that but if i was to tell someone how to drink their wine i would say put this guy in the fridge yeah um you know and on, on the back to the on-premise thing you know, there's a lot of people when they're at the bar or at the concert or at the game that they don't want to drink beer. And, you know, the seltzer thing is, you know, can be a little cloying. So, you know, we feel like canned wine can fill that very generous, little cloying. Very generous yeah. way of yeah, yeah. describing the yeah. seltzer world. A lot of <laughs> gross. Yeah. The, the devil incarnate. Yeah. You know, and they... like crap. And they intersect a lot with, you know, a lot of people are only red wine drinkers. <clears throat> I only like red wine. Yeah, that's true. You know, and... Listen, I don't want to convert you. If you like red wine, if you only like red wine, then drink red wine. You know, so here you go. Yeah. Um, so. Well, Sam, that that can that you said you had on a beach, on Maui, it was it was that company was, from it Oregon. Was right? Yeah. Um, I don't go to Matt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was Underwood. It was Underwood. Underwood, was, right? So they, as far as like the canned wine game goes, at least, uh, original, you know, yeah. fine, you know, quote unquote fine wine. Um, they were. Yeah, pretty much original. And, and the reason that I chose them at all was because um, they were available. Well, they were available, but I had yep. I, they had, they were distributed by the same people who carried us in New York, and I had tasted their wine. You know, sitting I would poured next to them at a portfolio tasting or something like that. So I was I was familiar with it. I knew, you know, that they were living up to some of the expectations that I you know have of the wine that I drink. Uh, so I and it you know fit the moment it was you know sunset yeah. rosé beach kawaii like all the things that you need where you wouldn't have you know i wouldn't have had a bottle of right wine yeah. glass but it just wouldn't have, yeah it wouldn't have fit it made no practical sense in any and i and i can't drink beer right i don't, I don't, I don't do gluten so and i don't and i can't drink cider uh seltzer because i have standards uh <laughs> and and there's not enough ciders in cans either so <laughs> Well, I, you know, and as for someone who drinks way more beer than what I should, you know, recently I've been trying some piquettes and, and I find them usually very refreshing and good as to start, but they don't warm up well. You're right. Um, and, um, and, and, and then they just do kind of start to lose it. And, you know, ultimately I, I, I would just prefer drinking wine, I guess. I mean, you know. piquettes are one of those, I feel like, better in theory than practice you know, situations. Right. Um, we're definitely, like, I can't say we're gunning for the White Claw market, but it's something we have to be cognizant of. And we're going to try our hand at some, you know, sparkling wine cooler yeah. effe- I did, effectively. I did the shot. Oh, okay. Yeah. We did Sauvignon um, Blanc. We did Sauvignon Blanc. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my, my apologies. Yeah. Did you, you like you? So here's the thing about these little plastic, uh, recycled plastic that we push these things. It, it, you, it's not like the little plastic rings that strangle sea turtles and your like soda cans come in. You obviously you did, you, you like made a little mix six pack, right? Cause you can just pop them in and pop them back out. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So sorry, I, I just got a phone call from work. The um, but the what I was at, what I guess I was going they towards. Sold, with they already it. sold all three ke- kegs of rosé that I delivered yesterday. Oh, so we haven't hooked okay. up to nitrogen tanks, and the first tank lasted sure six weeks, and then they blew through a tank in like three days, and now they just went through another one in like two. Days. So there's a leak there's somewhere. A leak somewhere. 
So I'm I'm pushing. <laughs> Perfect good. place for cans. Right, then. right. <laughs> but what I was wondering about that. Have we got a deal for I you? I got charred here. Yeah. Uh, what I was wondering about is that that company Underwood. If anyone has gotten a hold of one of their reds that's been in can for like you know five or six years. Mm, I, I don't know that. I don't know that answer. I could probably ping somebody from. You know, from the old distributors. Uh, and so you see, got any old cans say, laying hey, around? What just... happened to a can of Underwood that you opened, you know, that you didn't open for five years? Right. Um, I, I, I mean, probably I, maybe it's just a little reduced, right? I mean, it I mean, depends. From the, re- from the research side, A, five years ago, uh, all the can liners were completely different. Um, so one of the big things is basically we only have ball right now being the aluminum producer and they're the only ones that are making viable liners i think it's just the last two to three years that the liners became bpa free and so part of i think the rap that can wine gets is is earlier iterations you were having a less a liner that wasn't comparable or compatible with lower pH things like wines and beers are obviously at much higher pH than wines are. And so you're seeing the liners degrade and then you're getting the reaction of the actual aluminum into the can, into the wine. And so you get that oxidized, even though it's not oxidized by air, it's oxidized, by just metal contact. And you get that kind of like sucking on a penny type of, uh, of taste to it and things of that nature. So there is that. And then, it does seem like temperature and SO2, obviously. Right. Sulfur is the biggest challenge so with can wine yeah, yeah, yeah. that we know of right Wait, now. wait, can we talk about that? Yeah. So, sure. yeah tell, so tell me what that means. Uh, so uh, effectively, by doing a can wine project, we're almost forcing ourselves to not be able to buy bulk wine because you're you're really shooting for under 100 parts per million of so2 in any wine that goes into a can because total so2 because to prevent the hydrogen sulfide issues so you get that rotten egg or you get that uh matchstick kind of not to the like fine white burgundy way but the very offensive i don't want to drink it kind of way okay that's so one this this one of the reps that I was talking to about this who's been selling Underwood for a long time and whatever other canned wines, you know, and they lean into the sort of naturally wine world a little bit. Um, His comment was, be really careful with the sulfur. I open a lot of these and it smells like a fart. Yeah. Which is a nicer or less nice way of saying (laughs) the things that you were just saying. But um, you can't make good canned wine out of bulk wine is probably like a thing that we should all know and consumers should know. That if it's bad, it probably has too much sulfur, and it was probably you know bought in a from yeah, a truck. I mean, I would say probably sixty to seventy percent of wines that are made, that are commercially available on the bulk market right now, are automatically disqualified mm-hmm. from being able to can and and have the chance to actually have a an extended shelf life. You yeah. know, if you're if you're canning wines and you're turning those around and you're selling out in two three months, you probably don't have any issues. But if you're going past three four months. Temperature conditions will have a great effect on how quickly that reduction or how quickly the sulfides will appear. So it's just. So what do you what do you think then of our our little like put a can on the roof experiment for a week? As far as like, I mean, obviously it wasn't scientific. We're yeah. not in a lab. We weren't temp- you know, checking any temperatures. But do you think because the wine was also like 
less than a week into the can at that point that it's not showing us as much as if it would, I mean, you know, in three or four months. I'm not a scientist either. I went to the University of South Carolina, so um, you're, not not you're our, a winemaker, not you're an amateur suit. scientist. Um, but uh, an artist and a couple of other companies have been doing some more long-term studies. Uh, Sonoma Couture did a, a study, and they found that temperature seem, seemingly has the biggest effect in the long term, whereas even even storing it sort of at what you would consider room temperature in the south, you know, that 70 to 75 degree on the shelf versus keeping it in the cooler is a pretty profound effect on... But, on but to your question, I think it should point out that this was a temperature right. over time, yeah. right. not a, sh like, if we're talking about shipping, a short-term spike, you know, for a few hours while it's on the truck. Yeah, this so is that three, need, four months. Yeah, yeah, that would need to be a different experiment in order to isolate that timing variable I mean, it, um, but back to brian's question you know as it relates to the uh the liner it's sulfur it's ph it's copper um so and how they all interact together so high ph is bad high ph low, is good low high ph, pH is good. So, more, so low you know, more, ph is bad more acid Right. Um, and then so more acid combined with more sulfur would sort of make that even so they would sort of weaponize one another to, to, to huh. degrade the liner yeah. but the higher the ph the more sulfur you need and so you're fighting yeah. you're fighting one battle to lose another at, at that wow. point so it's kind of it's kind of interesting so protocol with um at least as we know it so we send off a wine sample to ball before we can and they do a i'm gonna find a gallon vessel to send to them yeah, I, I, use, I use like my kids leak. Lem my lemonade <laughs> jar i put duct tape around it and um uh anyway and uh, they do a corros corrosivity um uh, Evaluation, and then they will guarantee their liner for up to 12 months. Guarantee up to 12 months. Now, I've heard um, the folks at Sands say that they've had wines that are, and this is anecdotal, you know, years old that are drinking well. Um, but, you know, this is all new, right? So we're all kind of learning cool. as we go along. So, um, you know, but back to like our winemaking, we're sort of, you know, I don't want to get into the natural wine uh, discussion here, but, you know, we preferred as little as possible, um, which includes like a light hand with, with sulfur as well. So, you know, it's not really outside of what we want to do anyway. Well, I mean, theoretically, the wines that you're making by your decisions for picking and, and what you're doing with them, they shouldn't need a lot of um, sulfur, right? right? Um, uh, so that, that that works in your favor. Um, and as far as, yeah, you know, we all have, just thinking what you said about not wanting everybody, nobody wants to get into the natural wine commentary, but it's kind of like what Sam says, you know, why do we have to apologize? Why can't not using yeast and not filtering just be the norm instead of us all having to explain right. ourselves? Put the stickers on the non-organic fruit and produce in the grocery store. Yeah, and I mean it comes back. Right. right? No, I always. Why do you have this organic fucking apple that you know somebody's painstakingly grown without chemicals and pesticides, and then you put a orange sticker on it that says organic? That then you right. like. It's like I, I've always loved Sam's point that that why should the organic people be the one forced to to do this shit? It should be the other people that have to say. No, that, factory farm that makes that makes total sense and and with us you know obviously we're in the kind of premium price point for canned wines and and but we're as a point of my market research what is your price point <laughs> uh, we're shooting obviously distributors do everything a little bit differently we're shooting for seven dollars a can um so basically our target was a 2021 20, dollar 
traditional bottle of, of wine as our price point, and then we kind of work backwards from there to engineer it. And so a big, a big thing for me... But, that's, but this is Napa Valley Chardonnay right. in, um, in cans at $7 a right. can. I mean, that seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously working as hard as we can to source the best fruit that we can, and we're not out there to... So many potential so, can puns there. Yeah. We're working as hard as we can to bottle the best fruit that we can. Okay, sorry. You're killing me over here. <laughs> Wait, it's like, it's like Super Troopers. Okay, I'm gonna say uh, meow. I'm gonna say a t- meow ten times. <laughs> but yeah, no, we we're, we recognize that we're at a higher price point, but we also recognize that there needs to be a narrative shift. I think in in alcohol in the business in general, you know, we shit on White Claw for many many reasons, mainly because it's trash, but also what they're making out of Good is is trash, and so. When Nate talked to me about the project he wanted to start and doing this and coming on as the winemaker and all of that, my, my brain goes to, if you're willing to go to Whole Foods and spend the extra money on high quality produce or antibiotic free chicken, why are we approaching the alcohol industry any different? Because we're putting that into our body just as mu- much as we're putting food in. So why wouldn't there be a premium for quality in any format, in any shape? Okay. I, and I think that's a good jumping off point for me because... My thing with the cans is, for example, at the Fairmont selling it out at the pool. So I can get, number one, I can get kegs at, let's say, 240 a keg, which is, you know, 26 bottles, something like that. Breaks down to basically $9 a bottle, and I can sell it for $14 a glass. So my wine cost looks good, right? You're, you're at like, I don't know, 17% or six, something like that. So is that like, is that a five-ounce glass? Six ounce glass. Six ounce, okay. So if we're talking about a can that I'm paying, what would I be paying for, let's say, the rosé? You would, I mean, 465 would be the. 465. So for me to sell it and still get that same wine cost, I'd have to be selling it at 18 to 20 um, for the can. It's also eight and a half ounces. Okay, eight and a half ounces, so a little bit more. Okay. I understand that the, the, the customer may not think they don't want to do math if they're at the pool right <laughs> right and to them it, it's like a to them, it right? basically translates to a glass of wine even right. though it is two and a half ounces more but that's that's been my only um my only sticking point with the cans is that i'm you know if you're the food and beverage manager you're responsible and sometimes your your salary or your bonuses are based upon wine costs then <clears throat> you want to be pouring stuff that that hits that target yeah and so cans i love the idea of cans and i love the look of cans i like I, I want to see people out at the pool drinking cans because glass is a fucking nightmare. We're using, I hate putting um, stuff into um, plastic because yeah. um, we've gone through so much plastic in this last year. It's just insane. But but it, the only sticking point has been that, that price point that just inhibits me from using cans. But do you think the customer, I mean, the customer might just jump on board with it also, right? I mean, do they do they hem and haw at what your glass prices are? No. Yeah. I mean, I just I, w- I want. But I don't you know, know if they see a can if they perceive it as a twenty dollar can. I guess I see what you mean. I, I I mean, although I think they look at it. Yeah, it's it, it's tough because when they look at cans, they think of the cost of beer and. Right. You know, and stuff like that. Yep. I, I, you know, I mean, I, I know you guys probably don't want to talk about this. No, no, no. no, no. Like, no I, love, I love talking about it. But it's the reality of that's it. That's the but biggest is... challenge and the biggest thing is is changing the narrative of 
consumer expectation. And like, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about what you're willing to spend for food versus what you're willing to spend to drink at the pool. And like, you know, we're very eyes open about, we're, one of our battles is fighting the, the not so shiny legacy of alternative packaged wine, right? And because people's experiences have been pretty poor. And it's, it's interesting to see when people start talking about it, they're like, I don't like canned wine. It's like, well, you just paid $4 for 375 milliliter uh, can of wine. So you're buying an $8 bottle of wine. How many $8 bottles of wine do you crack open and wax poetic about how delicious it is? So it's, there's, there's an apples and oranges comparison. And I get it because the vessel dominates you know, your eye, your emotion. Um, you know, that's front of mind. But there is a, some simplicity in garbage in, garbage out, historically, with, you know, what, go, what goes in. And that's changing. Like, you know, we're trying to change that. Um, there's other producers now that, one sitting across from me, um, they're trying to change that. But it doesn't, but the customers still are going to think what they think. And if they're by the pool, I don't want to preach at them. That's sort of like oh. an- antithetical to what we're trying to do. Being, I, w- I want you to drink wine and be happy. Also, to to be fair, I think there is a there's a captive audience syndrome that you can kind of get. You know, a place like the Fairmont is not an inexpensive place to to stay. And so I think having a not inexpensive wine option is probably okay for most of the consumers. And there's different places where these wines fit right now, and there's places where they absolutely won't. Yeah, fit. we're 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 not we're we have to embrace what we're doing and, and we're not going to be for everyone. But back to your point, Bart, we're trying to make, so obviously we're going to be viewed as a canned wine company originally, but like I like, I've been saying this whole Gretzky skate where the puck is going sort of thing. What we're really trying to do is make super delicious California wine from organic vineyards for $21. So if we were doing that in bottle, you know, we, we would be, have no problem. We would be look, looked upon as, you know, differently. Right. And, but we believe in the cans for the reasons we talked about earlier in terms of the applicability with the serving size and the different um, sort of lifestyle, lifestyle situations. But that's what we're trying to do. But there's going to be some confusion and some pushback against that. And that's fine. You know, there's some places we just won't fit. Well, and, and, and I think that what we're talking about is really this paradigm shift in the discussion of wine and cans because for so long it's been so mediocre to say the least and but we've we just we hit on it a second ago it to make it be good it has to not have too much sulfur in order to not have too much sulfur you have to use good grapes to use good grapes you can't make cheap wine it's just like you know you can't it's it's uh you just can't get there. No. So, you know, our cans are, are $8 a can retail price. Uh, you know, $7 a can retail price. If it was at a restaurant, you know, if somebody charges $18 for one of our cans, $20 for our that's probably... It's a hard sell. It's, it's a hard sell, but it's it's where... The consumer needs to get in, and, and there needs to be more people doing what these guys are doing to to get. It's a it's a chicken it it's a chicken and the egg situation, and, and I think we're definitely on on our front foot, and we're, I don't think we're over our skis, but we're definitely pushing it to 
get into the acceptance level of this type of packaging. And like Nate said, we're not going to just be cans. Like he was just emailing me about kegs. You know, kegs are hard because kegs are permanent. <laughs> you know, you know, I've I've been burned on kegs with with BN before, where you know we have them floating in the ether because someone committed to buying them and then they backed out on buying them, and now I have six kegs that are in New York that I haven't been paid for, that I haven't been able to sell, kind of situations. But the you know cans, bottles, pouches, anything that makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm, oops, sorry, I was gonna say I, I I just think the future of by the glass is is kegs and it's and it's three three liter or one and a half liter boxes because you can just pour them from the tap into a carafe or whatever and do that and that's an economical serving that's an economical cost per package for us as a company trying to do this more so than a can by the glass and there's a safety to it too right as a as a producer that if you know those kegs that you're pouring a rosé out of at, at the fairmont I know that if you you know pour it on Saturday of this week and then a customer orders it on mm-hmm. Sunday of next week, hopefully many customers in between. Yeah. But if you you know if you were selling it by the glass, even if it's screw cap and you know really like restaurant server friendly, if that bottle doesn't get finished on Saturday and nobody orders it on Sunday, are they going to pour it out of that glass on Monday or Tuesday or to somebody? Are they and then going to throw it out or and like, open a new one, right? Yeah. And what is the the end consumer is going to be like? Well, shit, this stuff sucks. Well, yeah, it's because it's been open for five days and sitting on the back bar of a, you know, hotel pool. Right. right. And I just kind of want to back up and then address that. Um, you know, conversations often sort of become black and white and like we all live in this gray area. You know, we're not, you know, given our embrace of the premium sort of can market, like we realize that we're not speaking to everyone. You know, like... I think our customers need to give at least a little bit of a shit. And what I, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, those first four wines we just drank, you know, those are all from certified organic vineyards. And the one we're getting into here is organic. It's practicing organic, and I, and that's another conversation we can get into. And Sam, I know that, you know, you're like, well, that means it's not organic. Um, it means it doesn't have to be. Which, which I totally, under, I totally understand that as well. So, but you know, we're speaking to people who, they, 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 they got to kind of care. And that's okay, because the people who don't really care, and they then that's fine. There's there's products for them them too. Like we don't we don't all have to speak. Oh, to we did everyone. we did it again, Bart. We opened the wrong can. No, you didn't. We opened the we opened the Pinot. No, they no, didn't. Oh, we have the right. Yeah. Oh, we did. Okay. I'm just looking at the Pinot. I like <laughs> the wild, wild one. <laughs> yeah. So actually, let's. Uh, so I'll get off my soapbox here. No, no, no. Go ahead. Finish your keep, point. Keep go, go ahead. Well, so I was, you know. If, if you're Brian and, and you're in Sonoma and you have access to all these great producers that can bring kegs in, like you've got a good alternative, right? You know, like I'm, I'm getting ready to talk to a barbecue place in Sebastopol. They do a lot of takeout. So they probably don't have a wine takeout product, right? Or think of like Indian restaurants or Thai restaurants. Well, now they can have, assuming that it stays legal after COVID, right. you know, now they can add that. And it's not really at a lot of risk to them, right? It's not gonna, I mean, yeah, they have to buy the wine, but it's not gonna go bad. So there are places who, you know, don't have Brian's access or maybe they just don't have kegs to where yeah, keg setups, you yeah. know, ke- you know, where, where cans can make a lot of sense. Um, so, again, that's, you know, knowing your audience and and what works, you know, for them and with their portfolio and, or their availability. And now let's make Sam play guess the varietals in this blend. 
Yeah, I like to shift gears and talk about this vineyard. It's, it's That's really not a game that I'm very good at. <laughs> you can't cheat and scan the QR code first either, Bart. Well, I mean, I totally did that, and <laughs> um, and I wasn't going, I wasn't going to that place. I'll put it that way. It's a hard place to go. It's not credible for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just we, a lot of us don't have that much experience tasting those varieties. There's your little hint for you, Sam. <laughs> Myself included. Yeah, yeah. This is this is I'm, my first I'm, time playing with uh, with this fruit. I'm so failing this game. I mean, it's, uh, is it is it like Turiga Nacional? No, no. Okay. That's all I got. <laughs> it's uh, it's more famously known in Chile by a different name. Oh, is it Carmenere? No, no, it's not Chile. Yes, Chile. It is Chile, okay. but no. País, Mission. Oh, it's Mission. It's Mission. Mostly okay. Mission, with Mostly. some Tempranillo and some Maved also. In the- and where does this come from? So, yeah, this vineyard is um, it's right on the banks of the McCallumy River. Uh, I think I guess it's technically a, a campo, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But so. Lodi. Um, you know, you come. There's a vineyard up top, and you kind of it's right down in the floodplain. So you come in from above, down the slope, around the banks of the river, and these vines are Jurassic. Just monsters. They're they're taller than you know. I'm six foot two. You know, they're seven. Lodi eight, ladder. Eight feet tall. <laughs> they have so. to get ladders to pick. And they're, you know, head trained, you know, they're, they're trees, basically. It's the coolest, it's the coolest place. Um, you know, and the hedgerow that divides the, the vineyards, there are wild grapevines growing up in the trees, like the way they're supposed to, you know, the, what they want to do, right, climb. Um, so it's a super cool place. Uh, the owner lives right above the vineyard. So it's practicing organic. I think that she just doesn't want to spray right. in her house. bad shit in her backyard. Um, you know, dry farmed. I, they think that the vineyard was planted in the 70s, but I don't think anyone really knows. Um, you know, I had Patrick Capiello makes a uh, mission from here, and Pax made mission from here. Um, I don't know if he still does, but that's where I, you know, first had first had the wine. Um, and I'm a, I'm in the light red wine phase of my wine drinking. You know, life cycle, you know, started with, you know, 94, 97 California cabs, and that got me into wine. And now I prefer, you know, now I love Trousseau's and Pulsard's. And, you know, so we wanted to have a, uh, you know, a smashable, you know, gulpable red wine that you could drink out of a can at a barbecue and the sun's still out and you didn't feel weird. And so Mission has that. So, you know, these are these monstrous vines, but they make this very light colored, um, you know, red fruited um wine I did, 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 and it has enough little backbone on the finish to let you know that you're drinking a red wine yeah i mean it does it has i think we've said this before it has the impression of tannin suggestion, suggestion of, tannin. of tannin and it has nice red fruit which is really nice and it has this little bit of you know on a mall um yeah. which makes it really intriguing yeah for sure yeah. that's why when he said barbecue i was like yeah barbecue yeah. <laughs> totally yeah, see. I think it's, is that the the vedra that's in there playing that sort of like the missions that the missions got that, that too. That, that herb, that herby yeah. sort of yeah. missions, yeah. missions mission. got that too. The Moved was it's like a couple percentage points. Okay. It was co-fermented yeah. with the Tempranillo, um, so we we wanted to just bring a little more color and structure and body to it. Uh, so that's why we we blended back with some of the Tempranillo and some of the yeah, the Tempranillo Moved. 
go from it. You know, and, and we'll post some of these on, on the socials, but um, I have to say, we were having the conversation about the ingredients list, yep. and you've put yours um, by way of the um, the QR code um, onto the website. And um, for all the people that are putting their ingredients and tr because they're not putting anything into it, you guys are putting your ingredients and, and you're using winemaking things that, you know, certainly aren't illegal or no one should be afraid of, but right. you know, good for you guys for laying it out there, you know? Yeah. So I mean, the, um, yeah, you know, the rosé is grapes and sulfur. Well, I guess we used, um, nutrients as well. We use nutrients. So we don't, you know, no DAP, we use certified organic nutrients. Yeah. Um, the Chardonnay is grapes, a little bit of sulfur. Yeah. Um, but this one that we're drinking, um, has a whisper of tannin. Yeah, has it? But it's kind of it's kind of funny, you know. We use this. Um, what's it come from? It's it's all plant based. Um, it's from grape skins, and I should probably remember this. Some kind of bark, but you read it and you would think that it sort of adds structure, and it actually the mission had more had a bit of a astringent finish with that sort of rough tannin. That's a little bit unpleasant. And it actually calmed that down and yeah, like freshened it, it up. It's that joke of adding tannin to get rid of tannin. Yeah. Um, but I, anyway, I mean, it wasn't yep. to the point to having for you to explain what you used in your no, wine No, but making. it's totally there, fine. There's right? no point in being transparent if you're not going to be transparent. Right, right. And so if we're going to do one thing, then we're going to fucking do it all the way. You know, and in a perfect world, you know, four out of six of these wines have nothing but yeah. grapes and, and organic uh Nutrients, but we're, we're in agriculture. There's yeah. no such thing as a perfect exactly. world, right? We don't. I mean, occasionally you get the perfect vintage, and everything right. is just you know you sit and back and kick your especially with up you know with the market that we're trying to reach. The reason we don't have any of this on the can in the first place is because most people don't care, and we want people to be curious and to find out. But we don't want to hitch. I think the biggest mistake everyone makes with the quote unquote dumbing down wine or like trying to reach new consumers is assuming assuming they're idiots or assuming they want to hear it and they're neither like that's why we try to keep very simple with the front of the cans telling you you know the rosé bubbles fizzy and fine sauvignon blanc tropical citrus you know trying to keep it so that you know what you're getting and then if you're curious you have all of the winemaking chops all of the vineyard information all the fermentation you can go as geeky as you want if you want it but you don't have to and it's not like front and center I think it is sort of a, a nice sort of finding the middle ground yeah. between, you know, not having that information out there. And then, you know, it also is, you know, you're transparent with it, but you have to... It's available. It, it's available, yeah. but it also it takes a little bit of consumer engagement to get there. So when you talk about, Nate, yeah. the, the, you know, finding customers that give a shit a little bit, um, you know, that sort of inherently, like, gets you there, right? Exactly. Yep. And the more engagement you can get if someone's taking, you know, from a marketing and from a brand building, if someone's picking up the can, taking the time to scan the QR code, you scan all the way to the bottom, that's where you can join the mailing list. And so you're, you're creating engagement and you're hopefully creating more than like picking up the can and drinking it and throwing it away. You've already had someone take the extra step to find out more. Recycling it, not throwing it away, right? Recycling it. Depends what state you're in, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then what, what is, um, if people do join, which I tried to do last night and 
but there was some server error or something with Uh-oh. trying to join group but the uh, user error or sir you know it was after about three quarters of a bottle of wine and a couple puffs off uh, and you were drinking your own you were drinking your own wine last night <laughs> i was getting high on my own supply last night um i'm enjoying my wine so well, much we're, right now. we're um, but at, at the we're pre pre-launch right now as we're recording it so we're not like the website's not fully live because we had a but you try to sign up for the mailing list right and oh. and i was wondering like if if you were going to have something um like a wine club where people would join and you would yeah. send them subscription baby yeah so uh you, you know i don't know exactly when this is going to air but um yeah we're gonna have a subscription different subscription models um monthly every other month um 12 pack 24 pack um you know and also just an, e- an e-com store as well and we're gonna be selling mixed six packs so people can buy um know one can of each wine get it delivered as a six pack just so they can try everything and see if they like something yeah sample sampler yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. it's you know you get a six pack that's effectively two bottles of wine but six different wines to taste um you know once we have a little bit of bandwidth and can come up for air i think that that'll work well for virtual tastings having you know six 250s can taste through six different wines um you know and we're going to try really hard to I hate the word content because it's so to to provide kind of fun and cool content to our subscribers. Um, so when they see our email, it's they actually want to open it right. because there's some cool stuff in there. Um, you know, some food stuff, some some wine geekery. Uh, we're working on a. Um, you know, I lived in New York for ten years, um, from 26 to 30 something, and we basically became the default. Uh, tour guide for all of our friends who come to the city so we ended up having a you know one email so when someone says you know what should we do in the city we just forwarded in the email there's nothing to do in new york yeah what do you do same thing for wine country right like people come to wine country you know i'm from outside the bubble here so i kind of like have this mentality so we're going to create a like you know a groove field guide for wine country and you know suggestions on things to do and and um um things to see and and you know sort of outside more of a local kind of vibe um so things like that we're going to try to to engage with our with our members and um and also make it easy for them to just get what they want so we're not aiming for as like the traditional wine club you know quarterly or biannual shipments it's more of like monthly or every other month you know, get 12 or 24, choose what you like. And we have the flexibility that you can plug and play. Cause the idea with, you know, what Nate calls the home market is two fifties, eventually three, three fifty to three seventy five, three fifty fives, whichever cans we can find being part of your pantry. Like he said, so that this is what you're having on, on a weeknight is you don't want to invest in a bottle of wine. You like, you like reds, your, your partner likes whites. So you get a mix between the two, you know, you get 12, you know, six reds, six whites every every other month, and that's your your Wednesday night treat or whatever. And to keep that open and accessible and flexible for for whoever wants to buy it, instead of being as quite as segmented and stuck in as as the old school wine wine club model. Right. And again, you know, this uh, potential resiliency to the heat spikes of shipping yeah. uh, make that you know being able make to sh- it, being able to ship all summer makes it. Uh, uh, really that's advantageous huge. for that's us. Huge. Yeah. yeah, it's it's. I mean, I was having a, a conversation with Eric Bradley, who helped us with our 
our canned rosé. And, you know, the joke, we sort of turned at the end to a joke of like, we're just going to put everything in 750 milliliter cans and send out empty bottles and like branded funnels and, you know, and little tea corks. And, you know, you have one bottle and you're done with it. You run it through the dishwasher and open up another can and refill it. I mean, it's, it's a joke, but. But yeah, it's it's the ability to, you know, the problem when you ship a bottle of wine in the summertime, yes, it, the heat can damage it. But more it's that, you know, when the wine expands, it pushes the cork out, yep. it leaks, it becomes, you know, it becomes a, a ruined bottle. It, yep. Or if you're in a clear glass, you can get light struck and you can have right. issues with, with all of that. Yeah. yeah and, um, so we're doing our second canning run at the end of July. So after all that stuff's on the truck, we're going to send some to our fulfillment house um warehouse in st louis so once that's done we'll be two-day ground to everywhere except you know the tips of you know maine and probably miami and um so that'll help that the shipping situation too and what's insane you probably know this but what's great about these cans you know a 12 pack which is four bottle equivalent is like a small shoebox. and a case what i'm calling a case or flat 24 cans that equates to eight bottles of wine is you know if you if you were a size nine boot you know that's about how large these boxes are so you know we're subs we're covering shipping and all of our pricing on the website shipping will be included um and it's great you know these things are great you know it, it's not sexy to call something a you know a pantry item um but this can literally fit right next to your 12 pack of topo chico in your pantry um and go for it right like you know make your make your do life make you your life easy Chico, uh endorsement are they sponsoring well I, I lived in houston for uh for nine years so you know uh, in texas uh it's yeti and topo chico baby you know? <laughs> <laughs> no and, and to your point it it's the equivalent of a 24 pack is equivalent of eight bottles yep and it weighs as much as like four five six bottles at the 15 most 15 pounds boxed up and so we're shipping them in our, you know, we're, we're just sort of modifying our, our regular two-pack shippers. I should have brought, brought the box. Oh, you, that's right. We were talking about the box. I'll send you you're, 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 so, so that is the sort of the next frontier of, of cans is the DTC of it. Right now we're like, you know, we're jerry-rigging our yep. wine shippers, you know, bottle shippers. Um, the can van people and I got to follow up with them. I actually think I owe them money, so I haven't, I'm surprised they haven't called me. They'll follow up. Uh, with they'll you. follow up. <laughs> but they're they just are they have a uh, uh, for the Slims a, a DTC box that they're for a shipper. I thought they were getting boxes to like like case boxes. I, I think yeah, it was like soda boxes. I think it was uh, okay. I thought it was shipper boxes. It, these could be uh, different conversations. That might be both. That was my conversation. Was that it was shippers? Yeah. You guys have been developing your DTC box. He he, he yeah. points finger guns at his temples and pulls the trigger. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's been an intense year uh, for everyone. Um, you know, we started in May of 2020 and, you know, lived through COVID and, and the world being on fire out here. Um, and we've been very, you know, very fortunate with everything. But one of the snags we've hit is... Um, you know, we were just talking about glass shortages and label problems. You know, there's a the corrugate cardboard market is extremely tight because um, we are all ordering things to our house. And you combine that with the fact that these 250 milliliter cans are very delicate, so they can they can dent quite easily. Um, so we don't want our cans, people to be excited about buying this can of wine. It shows up, they open the box, and you know everything's banged up. 
So the um, you know the one thing that snag that we've hit is figuring out a solution that protects the cans. The product shows up, it looks good. Um, combine that with the corrugate tightness of that market. That's a long explanation. Apologies. Um, so the boxes are being manufactured right now, and they should be on a truck at the end of next week, hopefully in American Canyon in the first week of June. Um, yeah, each can will be protected individually. But combined with that is to work with the filament house on workflow, so they're not having to take individual cans, and because that makes everyone's shipping costs go up, and we're trying to not have that happen. So the way it's going to work is they're going to grab a six pack of wine, smash it, place it into these cells. Place it gently. <laughs> they'll, they'll be smashing with it. White, <laughs> with, white, with white gloves yeah, with, on. with cotton uh, terry cloth gloves. They'll grab a six pack, put it into these air cells that um, you know create a barrier around the outside of each part of the box. Um, you know, if, if someone does the Ace Ventura smashing it in the elevator uh, test, it might get dinged up a little bit. But um, you know, hopefully we found a, a solution. <laughs> Everybody right now is seeing Ace Ventura kicking a package into the elevator yeah, exactly. in the opening of that movie. Well, and I've seen the our our uh, UPS and um, FedEx drivers. We live in a court, so I get to see when they deliver stuff to all the different houses. You, they throw shit, and sometimes I hear like breaking. And I'm like, how the fuck do you keep you your know, job? We joke that our little like red fragile stickers that we put on mean the little red, that's like yeah. the the cross. That's like the target. It's a bullseye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this, if someone had to deliver to their house, they need to sign for this, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's yeah. booze, so yeah, so same uh, or booze, it's wine, so the people have to sign for it. The family um, hooch, that's what I saw. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so you know, we're just trying to do what we can now, because the reality is, if the people in your court get a box of Groove wine and the UPS guy, you know, kicks it onto their porch, you know, they're probably going to be calling us, yeah. not the UPS folks. And even if it's not our fault, it's our problem, and we're going to have to deal with that. And we want our people to be happy. So we're trying to take the right, you know, all the steps we can, constrained by cost because we all live in an Amazon world and put together a, you know, a package that'll arrive safely and still look, you know, like we want it to look. So what was production on all these wines as far as like, like what, what would it be? I guess it's hard, it's hard for me to think of it in can production, but, but like in bottle production, like what was like total case or total can it's or whatever. It's hard for me too. We, we made about 50 tons of fruit between all the skews. Holy cow. No, it's like six. 62 or something. 62 tons of fruit um i mean we're 62 times 50 Brian. well so I, I can break it yeah. down for you so like our case is six liters in a case of you know 24 cans eight, eight bottles um you know case of wine is nine liters we're going to be about six so 2020 production will be about six thousand cases we are going to bottle some of that so it'll you know it'll be across some bottles and then uh, for 2021 harvests, we're looking at a, to roughly double that, so it'll be around 110 tons. Wow, this is not a this is not a concept that uh, survives small scale. You're you're not right. dabbling like like we did with two and a half tons. I mean, of we, Primitivo. We can't. You're, you're, you, yeah. you can't, right? We can't. You know, we're we're trying to get distribution with big boys. We're trying to move wine because. 
our margins are tiny and they're going to stay tiny and we need to grow the home market in order to see this thing out and but we are committed to going grape to bottle and we're committed to making wines that would fit in a bottle would fit in a can would go anywhere and so in order to do that there's no uh there's no sticking your foot in the shallow ends in in this kind of segment and you guys are your own you're your marketing team is you guys so we've hired hired a couple of uh local marketing folks um hired uh, contracted so i'm working with barbara gorder uh who lives up on sonoma mountain and um and also brian baker um who lives in napa he was uh he was at um, Mayakamas for a bit, and prior to that, um, Chateau Montalena. Um, so he's helping me more on the go-to-market sort of strategy, and Barbara's helping me on branding and um, building the website and messaging and um, yeah, social yeah. ads and things like that. Because what are you guys fighting for? Are you fighting for shelf space or refrigerator space? Yes. 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah, so like, I, I, I'm an outsider, and I've been a wine geek for a long time. So, I look at everything from the consumer perspective because I care. Um, like I don't really have any interest in putting shitty wine in a can and telling people it's good just just to sell it. Um, so for me, DTC and distribution are supportive of one another. Of course, we want to sell DTC to people, have a direct relationship with the customer, you know, have have better margins. But if someone wants to stop at HEB and Austin on the way home and pick up some wine, they should. I want them to stop at HEB and pick up some wine. Um, you know, there's the home market, there's the on-premise like we're talking about. Like, you know, how many people at a given concert don't want to drink beer? Back to that concept, right? If they don't want to drink beer, like, usually at a, a regular bar, their wine alternative is less than appealing. I want to be the premium wine alternative at all of those venues. So on the wholesale market, we're we're effectively, in a sense, trying to create a segment of a market. We're trying to differentiate ourselves from Underwood and the 375 mil cans that are at that $5 or- Cupcake, Sophia. Cupcakes, like we want right. there to be a different place on the shelf. You know, you talk about grocery stores, you know, your Monkey Bay's on the bottom shelf for Sauvignon Blanc, your Kim Crawford on that third right. shelf, right. your expensive overpriced Napa stuff on the top shelf. We want to be on that, we want to be on the third shelf. Right. Eye level. Eye level and, you know, to the best of my knowledge, we're, we're pretty much first into the segment at any sort of scale to provide quality. And so we, you know, and we're blazing our own trail in that sense. And, and who wouldn't want to hold this can at a Giants game? in san francisco with that, big, with that right. big with that big g on it i mean it's like an it's natural habitat i can see some black and uh special bottling yeah, a little special black underneath there black and orange yep. uh, maybe folks at the moment might be a little pissed off that's maybe if they make the playoffs this year yeah. so um <laughs> by, could, the time, it, by the time this comes out they'll be deep into the june swoon and this won't be true anymore but they, they are, are the first best place, team yeah. in baseball right now yeah. it could happen <laughs> It could happen. Problem with baseball is it's 162 games. <laughs> so the website um, is is not up yet, but coming soon. Um, probably by the time this this comes out, we'll be live. Yeah, hopefully by the time this airs, um, the website will be up. I mean, you can sign up for the mailing list now. Right, I just did it. It does work. Ryan, okay. that was a uh, user error. User error. Um, <laughs> and ha is there some out in the marketplace yet? 
Yeah, so we're um, I've, it up. I've been selling by hand, at, you know, local people in the East Bay where my uh, we have some friends and family and in, in Petaluma. I will deliver to your house uh, if you're local. Uh, we're in a few spots. Um, we're in uh, Bay Grape and Napa and Oakland, uh, Big Bottom Mark and uh, Guerneville, uh, a brewery up in Katati. They have live music and they have those people who don't really like to drink beer, but they want to go see a band play. So they're selling a lot of our wine. Wait, where is that? But at uh, at Grab South. Oh, okay, okay, over by the dispensary. It's Wait. in Katati. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to be more specific. This yeah. is California. Yeah. It, yes, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Highway 116 at 101. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right at the right at Mercy. Right. Okay. Yeah. The dispensary. <laughs> it's a. my dispensary. <laughs> Thank you. you. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, let's see where else. So I just sent some down to a golf course and. Um, Carlsbad. Uh, we're, I mean, we're in a couple other places. Cool. Not, yeah, okay. so. So it's happened. Yeah, so I'm talking to people. I've been dropping off. Uh, you know, I don't really have any you know, access. No one who knows who Nate Miles is. So I've been uh, just showing up to places where I think it might make sense. Well, this and, podcast hasn't come out yet. They'll know. Well, <laughs> um, you know, so I'm trying to do things that don't scale right now because, you know, I want, I think that. You know, we need to meet the skepticism of cans head on. And I think once we get the cans of people's hands, you know, they look good. People take to taste the wine. Um, you know, I think that they usually find something they like. Yeah. Um, so it's one person at a time, honestly. And, and then and we're that's rolling fine. out. Um, I'm going back to, back east next month to roll out in North and South Carolina and try to hit, you know, Hilton Head and Wilmington, Charleston, uh, Asheville, kind of get the hikers and the, and the beachers and we're gonna we're sending our first couple of pallets to georgia uh same same kind of thing getting down to the sea islands and getting the rosé and the shard and the sb you know those golf cart golf cart communities yeah, down in amelia 90 90 days looking yeah. for something cold yeah yeah so we're you know we just canned our first run in march so we're we're on our slow kind of roll up we this company is uh less than a year old probably still at this point from even like its initial conceptualization so this is a pure covid baby that we're yep rolling through right now yeah it's been an intense year you know it's, um you know, we were pretty fortunate with harvest with the fires and everything um you know that's easy to say after the fact but on the ground making those decisions yeah, sure like last it. year uh was not easy you know we make our wine at sugarloaf uh over on highway 12 and well i mean ronald was on we were done at that point ronald was on site you know putting out fires on the property as it came you know over the hill and um you know so uh you know everything worked out really well um especially under the circumstances uh but <laughs> it's been intense intense 12 months and so do they have can wine competitions yet yeah there's a few um you know i've, I've you know i've I'm following all the hashtags and all that on, on social media. Uh, there was one called can wine competition. Um, you know, we don't have some, uh, locked in strategy for promotion and, and competitions, but we want people to taste our wine. Uh, but again, like, you know, I don't know if I should say this out loud, but like, I, I, I want to make the best $20 wine in California. I don't want to make the best can wine. Right. And if you do the first one, the second one will take care of itself. Um, you know, we're just getting going. So it, saying that feels a little 
maybe getting out ahead of our skis like you, or over our skis but that's but that's the goal yeah, you're not trying to put any pressure on me or you anything. know I mean, but that's but that's the goal you know um you'll be fine you know we want to scale and like, like like we were talking about talking about that you know i'm not a natural salesperson so i, I want what i'm selling to be high quality stuff yeah you know it's wine first and you know yeah we believe in all the sustainability aspects of it um i don't know i personally think that that sort of thing is almost table stakes for our target market right like you know so i don't want i'm not a preacher i don't want to hit people over the head with it um but yes all those things all, you know the farming the packaging the recyclability you know the weight i thought it was i don't know if you guys saw uh jason haas's two two tweets ago or, or this this whole conversation about the two oh. largest things for a winery in yeah. terms of uh, in terms of like their footprint right. with glass is where they get their energy mm-hmm. and their packaging. Yep. You know, everyone ta- everyone you know, big conversations around farming, which is obviously important. You know, no one thinks about the packaging aspect, and of course, glass is not going away, right? But how do we make things better? You know, and how do we get rid of shrink wrap? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Coconut leaves. I don't know. <laughs> uh, right. I mean, you know, I um, do think that cans is a place, and that's part of, you know, my idea behind it is that, you know, assuages some of our glass-borne sins. I mean, yep. you know, I put out the heaviest bottles I've ever put out this year with our, our Audu Tet. You know, it's 55 pounds a case. Um, you know, I, I hear it all the time from Paul and Jasmine. I've just I'm about broke, just about yeah. broke them in half. <laughs> but I also put out cans, you know, and, yep. and where it's you know, a case of those is a third the weight. So I mean, I, I you know, basically you're just paying for the weight. You're of like the Lance Armstrong. You cheat, but then you start a nice <laughs> charity. <laughs> the Lance Armstrong of wine. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> How many Tour de France's do I get along the way? Do I get a Nike right. deal? <laughs> Some tie-dyed bracelets. Little breast cancer. Some, sell some tie-dyed bracelets. <laughs> there you go. That's actually probably a pretty good idea. Yeah, I, I just you know, and it's you know, I'm not going to tell anyone like bur- we shouldn't have any canned Barolo guys, right? And you know, Napa, you know, Napa Cab that's in a barrel for three years isn't going to be canned. We, like, we already talked about the sulfur situate. So, but there's a place for it, right? There's a you know, on an, it's probably larger than a niche. You know, what is it? Ninety percent of all wines consumed in the United States are. Two days drunk within, I was yeah, gonna say two like, weeks. It's like eight hours. Hours, yeah. like seven yeah. hours. Right. So you know, a lot of times, you know, the wine geekery bubble, you know, you're having a different conversation than other people, right? So all those wines that are sort of drink now wines, you know, some percentage of them we can put in the cans, right? So we're just getting a little bit better, right? It's it, you don't have to take the entire leap. Let's just get like a little bit better at a time. Um, so. You know that's what we're trying to do so maybe we can start i know they were I, I don't know if they are ready selling tickets for bottle rock i know the lineup has been announced it is yeah, a go tickets aren't for sale yet but they did announce so maybe sonoma retort would be can rock <laughs> sonoma style okay we could get uh yes we can rock yes we can rock, yes, we can rock. <laughs> las haras we get the uh, 16600 a, a concert with right. just canned wines. Right. Okay. I did try and get these guys to 
rent some space in our complex here because you know <laughs> Joel from Los Harris and, and his wife just uh, rented the office next to mine. I don't think they're not going to be a tasting room; it's just office space. But then if we could get these, we you know legitimately be Tin Can Alley over here. Be awesome. The we're aluminum here, district. We're is here the for it. The aluminum district. Yeah. The aluminum district. <laughs> <laughs> aluminum. That's the. It's a third anniversary gift, right? <laughs> <laughs> Comes after paper, right before wood, or something like that. We didn't. We didn't talk about this last wine that we actually had in here. No, we did not. It's Pinot Noir, and it. Yep. I forgot that I poured it out of a can at some point. You're just tasting yeah. it. It just tastes like good wine. I mean, yeah, that's, so, that's the goal, uh, right? That's the goal. Yeah. So that you know, we put Sonoma Coast on the label. Um, it's actually Petaluma Gap Fruit, which is a sub-AVA of the Sonoma Coast. Um, you know, the reason we did that is I think, you know, outside of the wine bubble, I think, you know, civilians will recognize Sonoma Coast more so than Petaluma Gap. But it's uh, it's off Lakeville, old Lakeville number three. You know, I live in Petaluma, so it's just down the road from me. Um, this was sort of a 2020 um gift given the the circumstances uh, the fruit became available at the last minute um you know matt and i went over and looked at it it was be- it, what, like four or five days later picked a, yeah. you know yeah it was beautiful um some really you know a really good winemakers uh, make wine from there um so this may be it for this particular pinot noir um yeah or the fact that you bought the grapes last year might allow you to buy them again this year. It allows us to buy them again, but not at the price we bought them for. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, you know, with all of our reds, helping growers out of the situation and getting higher quality fruit as the output. And so that's kind of what led our decision into doing some of this in bottle. Uh, I think, were we on air when I talked about? I don't remember. But uh, seeing how this ages long-term and with cans, you know, much like with screw screw tops, you're getting a different type of aging thing. And we, part of part of believing in the product that we sell is is seeing them become age worthy. So the Tempranillo is going to go to bottle. This is going to go to bottle, and we're going to continue to use that as an outlet to see where they go in different mediums and with different like. Okay, cool. So, so interesting. So you could actually do a side by side a year from now, right? Exactly. And are you doing those with what sort of closure are you going to use? Renewed natural cork. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What, what did Dave Ramey call it? Raw cork plugs? Raw cork plugs, yes. Raw cork plugs, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still using my raw cork plugs, David, if you're listening. And I'm still turning in corked bottles, guys. Yeah. So. That's one of my fears. Amarim is guaranteeing they're all, all cork free. Or TCA, TCA free. free. So. Yeah. One in 10,000, and I've had, I've had one <coughs> from the Amarim and, and uh, D-Tech. Yeah, I've had very few. Yeah. Um, but people think it's court, it's court. Right. That's just the way the world works. So, although I've seen very few return bottles for, for BN, it's very, very low number. And it's still the most sustainable package you can have in it, or closure you can have. I gotta say, I'm digging the Sauvignon Blanc myself. Oh, me too. That's the highlight for me yeah. of the ones. Yeah. They're all very good, but that's, for me, that's the highlight. Yeah, so that's, a, that's from the Zabala Vineyard um, down in Royal Seco. It's, uh, it's an old, riverbed you show up and there's just it's just rocks everywhere like big old river stones so what does a royal seco mean nate oh dry river dry creek dry creek yeah. something yeah. like that yeah dry creek. um why'd you have to put me on the spot like that 
And we didn't you talk were just about the story, um, man. And you're, mean, you <laughs> lived in Houston. You should speak Spanish, yeah. right? <laughs> we didn't talk uh, about how it's a dry riverbed full of rocks, and then call it Arroyo Seco. You know, it's, <laughs> and then, don't ask me that. Just let me go. <laughs> we didn't talk about vessels. So for the whites, I'm assuming you're doing stainless steel. Yeah. And then for the reds, any neutral or is that we, stainless um, as well? We're aging the Pinot in barrel. Um, that's more to do with the lack of benevolent neglect in 2020 and just we had all the barrels it's better for the wine um the guys at sugarloaf were okay with not charging us more to do barrel age and barrel work because the barrels are there anyways so i mean i think ultimately down the line we're gonna start probably playing with um Concrete. some of those cellar tricks like micro walks and like oak staves to try to get some some different textures. And I know that's really not rocking the boat for the majority of wine produced at scale. And so that's probably down the line because in order to keep things price competitive, we need to not pay for barrel storage, not pay for the extra labor that's associated with doing barrel work month over month. Um, and so we're mostly tank aging. Yeah, so what the Tempranillo, We've got a couple of, we had three punchins, and then we got some in the tank. So it's interesting to see, I mean, it's still a baby, but it's just interesting to taste and to see the difference. Right. Um, yeah, the rosé is all, you know, we, we foot tread, leave it on the skins for a couple hours, then it goes into prep, direct to press, you know, or that fruit's farmed for rosé. Um, stainless. Um, what's Chardonnay was barrel fermented. That's right. Um, barrel for neutral, me. though. You know, we're not buying any thousand dollar French oak barrels to right. make your. Uh, but down the road, you blow up wine. the economics of candy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like down the road, do you anticipate doing like, like you do a single vineyard bottling it's, and extensive? Uh, that's the thing that's like blowing my mind here. Bar- these are all these are all single vineyard bottlings, right? No, yeah. but I'm saying of doing like one skew that's like a like a higher. Yeah, end for sure. Skew, I mean, you know. Part of, uh, you know, another reason we're strategizing with, with putting stuff in the bottle is to, like it or not, that's still the benchmark of quality. So, you know, we're going to be selling $35 bottles of Tempranillo to help sort of legitimize the fruit that we're buying, the winemaking methods that we're using. Cost, cost average. Right. And then it depends on, you know, we line price all these wines because we want, again, ease of use. So every can seven bucks. So... The rosé is actually probably the most expensive wine that we make, but we can balance that out with the Pinot being pretty inexpensive in 2020 and just finding those marks. And as the home market grows, that'll give us more flexibility to do a one-off Fermentino. And as we get people that follow the company as a whole, yeah, I would love to explore past the traditional, you know, call brands of, of varietals. And frankly, we don't know if the call brands are going to make a damn bit of difference in the market or whether people like the wild one, the red blend is probably my favorite wine of the group as a complete entity. But we don't know if people are going to want to blend or if the Pinot is going to be more popular because the consumer just recognizes Pinot Noir as a call. So right. we're. But, but the idea, you know, again, is that, you know, look forward. We. I want to make less friction to enjoy good wine. I would love to be the gateway drug for those people who drink the eight to twelve dollar wines to trade up and be like, "Oh, that's pretty good," and then you never go back. Like as a wine drinker, for me, like probably fifteen years ago now, um, 
you know, deciding, you know, I used to be on, you know, 20 years ago, I was, I was on the search for the really, really good 15 to $20 bottle of wine, which you could find, but it was a little bit difficult. When I moved up to 30, it's like the world opens up, right? And then incremental to taste all these there, delicious yeah. things. You know, so, so if Groove can be, you know, the gateway drug, and it doesn't have to be in a can, you know, right? Because, like, sometimes you want to have dinner for two, so, like, you open a bottle of wine. You know, I want to have Magnums, because, ma I mean, who doesn't love Magnums? They're a total pain in the ass from the producer's perspective, right? But, like, they, it's, it's, or, yeah, tall boys or whatever, or Crowlers, <laughs> you know deuce, I mean? Deuce deuces. Yeah. Groove deuces, <laughs> yeah. Like, of course, the vessel is going to be part of the conversation because it's, you know, the movement is kind of new, but we'll get past that. I want to put widgets in the wine too. You know, see what that does. I'm not joking. We love, we, you know, we love wine. So we want, you know, we want to uh, be a, like, like a little hit people like who make good stuff mix right. to basically aerate it. Wait, wait, so we're, we're like having a side conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sorry. What's, yeah. a, what's a widget? Let's talk about because like, like the little, this is just the little brain. like in the bottom of like the, the, the bottom Guinness, of the Guinness yeah, that yeah. gives a nitrogen widget. So part of me wants to, fuck around with that in a can but have it be like a co2 o2 blend and almost like venturing the inside of a can so when you pop it because we're all drinking out of glasses right now right. but we all made these i made these wines assuming that people are going to drink it out of the can so that changes the way everything's going to taste and so i kind of want to replicate the act of decanting or pouring into a glass from popping the can I don't, I mean, this is probably completely unrealistic and way over budget, and it's probably crawling in his skin that I'm putting <laughs> this out there. But yeah, I think it would be interesting to see because... I'll trade you a batch of Piquette for your widgets. <laughs> Just because you say it on the podcast doesn't mean it has to come true. It does. There's, yeah. you know, there's half a dozen people who are now going to be like next year going, I'm Where's looking the for widget? widgets, yeah. and you know which half a dozen you are. I'm but not yes. saying your names again. I mean, I, th I think it would be conceptually interesting to see that because the biggest knock still on screw caps even is the the lack of air that gets in and how it changes the way a wine ages traditionally. And so if a little hit of a CO2, O2 blend can just wake up a wine in a can a little bit and just give it a little bit more freshness and brightness, I think that could be something that's pretty interesting. Yep. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. I'm... I su I'm surprising myself. My the Pinot Noir and the Chardonnay are my yeah. two favorite, which or, are usually not my favorite varieties, especially with the Pinot Noir. But I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah, that's all I ever ask for. Someone's pleasantly surprised. <laughs> I have a low bar. <laughs> Managed expectations. <laughs> but uh, you know, is that that's uh, we joke about? It, that's probably. Part of what we're up against with with the canned wine for sure. hundred percent. Yep, it's exactly it. It's taking the it's taking the mantra of this is good for a can wine and turning it into this is good just wine good that's wine. in a can. Exactly. Yep, and just altering that statement is the whole goal. Yeah. So who's going to uh, arrange the uh, modern day tasting of Paris for cans versus bottles? I want hidden from the judges <laughs> and I want to do it. All right. I think that'd be fun as hell. Maybe maybe that's part of Podcast Palooza's, uh, you know, Podcan Palooza. Podcan pod Palooza. <laughs> we might have to add another day to Podcast of Palooza for Podcan Palooza. <laughs> I mean, it's already three days. So. Right. 
<laughs> do we start day one with cans or do we push it to day four? That's the question. And how did, and we, we didn't even talk about this. How did you guys decide on Groove and how was that available? It's a minor Who fucking did you beat up to take their name from them? Right? Yeah. It's in so much in common use that it's... Common use. You think it was hidden in plain sight? Yes. Wow. I think that's the only logical explanation for it. Did we ever... Trademark it. Are we still waiting on we're, that? We're, wait, we're waiting on, <laughs> we're waiting waiting on lawyers on. to contact us. So we got, us. we got it back, and they said it was common use. You can't trademark it. And then we um, protested. Yeah. I'm sorry. But there's my, no groove, law, there's no groove wines. But there's like Allagash has like a little groove beer. And there's like some com- – like with trademarking, anything that's liquid is c- the same category. So if there's water or kombucha or beer, so it's a little murky. But – Amazingly, there was no Groove Wines or Groove Wine Company or anything in that kind of iteration. And, and, and where did the inspiration of Groove come from? Was it just a bunch of names that you were kicking around? You should see the fucking list Nate made. That yeah, so, almost drove me to my grave. Yeah, Matt's fun to grave brain. wines. Matt's really fun to brainstorm with because he's he's that like that's no. stupid. Um, <laughs> I'm just honest. <laughs> that resting Matt face comes back at. Correct. I mean, the idea was, you know, with, with the whole vibe was just to have something that's light and fun and not too serious. And so, and then it's all the joys of going through the process of finding what's available, what's not available. And um, so, you know, Groove was on, on the short list and, you know, and six up, months to design the canvas and, and go through endless revisions and, and all of that. But, you know, the company we work with Thirstcraft did a great job with all these, all these labels. And yeah, it's pretty cool if you step back and actually realize this took less than a year to conceptualize, right. yeah. design, make the wine, can the wine. And we're here on May 19th and yeah. And when we go full package, when we go live, I think we'll, I think, I think we'll be shipping to 13 states um, by the first week of June. Um, you know, so that's another challenge is all the the compliance and getting uh, all the, the permits in place. So, um, yeah, it's been an intense year. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was nothing else going on this year. You, yeah. you know, no. easy to focus. <laughs> a lot of extra time at home. Fair enough. All right. a, lot of, a lot of grapes available. A lot of grapes available. So, so why don't you guys uh, shout out how people can find you? Plug it, plug it, plug it, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. So, um, social media at Groove Wines, uh, Groove like a record groove. Um, website www.groovewines.com. Uh, you can sign up for the mailing list now. Uh, we promise we won't spam you with lame stuff. Um, we should be live a around. Bad humor though. Maybe a little bit of dad humor. That's okay. Uh, we should be live for ordering uh, first week of June-ish. Um, if you're local, um, you know you can email me, Nate, at GrooveWines.com, and I'm happy to um, drop some wine on your porch um, for you to enjoy. And I think that's about it. I, I think it would be so fun to actually go in the total opposite direction with your marketing where it's not a bikini water-splashing pool pink flamingo blow up thing but actually to be at a table with dinner sort of you know what i'm saying where you go in that direction where people are like oh it kind of it would kind of be a shock to their system to see that you're sitting down having a can of wine a can of wine with like a spread across the table and like linen and did you just see his instagram yesterday is that why you're no no i didn't well 
Yeah, well, that, I think what Matt's referring to is the, uh, you know, make lunch wine a thing. And like, cans make that easy, right? You just pop a can and have a glass. But uh, I've had that thought with some funny like TikTok ideas with, because uh, it's really, everyone when they hear about Because the world cans, needs more 45 year olds on TikTok. Here, <laughs> here, that's what makes it funny. Now, everyone thinks they have to drink from the can. I don't like to drink from a can. It's like, well, do you drink straight from your bottle? I do. No, pour I it. Do. <laughs> It depends on the day. But well, even having like pour your, it in a your, glass. You know what I'm saying? Like an image of the butler at the table but presenting that's what I mean. the can. Have one shot and it's like a, a stuffy old dude in a tuxedo right, right. smashing a smashing wine totally. out of the bottle and then then pan over to like people sitting at a table yeah. with a can of wine and wine in a glass being we're, like We're, we're not trying to be that right, lifestyle right. like beach brand, like June Shine's got all that shit on on lockdown already anyways. Like, glittery. So, glittery, yeah. like only for the beach. No, I mean these are all wines for the table. Yeah. And we don't want that fact to get lost. I, I will say, when we first started, when we two weeks ago in the tasting room, I spilled so much wine pouring out of the can because it's not like pouring out of a bottle at all. And I was pouring to like customers over their shoulder, trying to like be you know some degree of formality, and just was like going sideways, sideways out of the can. Is like definitely a, there's a learning curve on uh, can can service. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think you it's need okay to make to sure the can's all the way open, right? You that can't just crack helps. it and pour. You have to actually make sure the tab is pushed back. So, well, chocolina pour there. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been great, you guys. Congratulations. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I'm glad uh, we'll check in back. We'll check back in with you. Um, anybody have any shout outs today? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, just Joel from Las Haras. We are going to do something fun on June 30th. We're going to do a winemaker dinner, a completely vegan winemaker dinner at the hotel and hoping to get um, a positive response with, with everything that was going on with Single Thread and with 11 Madison Park. I threw down the gauntlet to our chef, which I did last year, but he completely forgot about it and COVID happened. So we're going to do a, a fun, natural wine, vegan dinner, try and start some shit. Cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, uh, Wednesday, June 2nd, I am doing an IG live with uh, MJ. MJ Toller. Um, so I hope you guys will all uh, check that out and, uh, and harass me. We got to talk about HDR, right? Well, no, this is coming out after. So the, the auction. Well, we need to thank you. Yeah, th we're, this is thanking everybody and thanking whoever is the generous person, uh, Roger Randall, Kevin Burns, uh, who buys our, our auction lot, uh, which is, you know, as we speak, we're, we're over five cases, maybe in the six case department. Uh, new wines added all the time. Uh, even right up until, you know, it goes live on Saturday, the 22nd, yep. is the auction. So uh, it'll have happened if you're listening to this, but um, hopefully we'll have raised a good amount of money to help HDR make it to uh, 2022, where we'll pour Rhone varieties out of a can. Somebody will. I don't somebody know. Will. Somebody will. Here's and looking at you guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can't sell Syrah, try selling Syrah in a can. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be, I, you know what I, I think would be fun? Instead of adding one of these to the pool menu, would be adding one to the normal wine list at the restaurant. There you go. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where you list it as a can, but it's listed with all the bottles. Right. And then you bring it and present it like you would a bottle of wine. And that's what I thought about, like, with the 375 the bigger can format because that, that's your half bottle right um and then you 
pour in a carafe. No, if table you, side carafing. Yeah. Well, or or just. I wouldn't even do that. I'd go right into glass. We're here for you. Can into yeah. Or put a four pack on. Put a four pack <laughs> on the table. Well, I mean, if if. Are we here to party? Or are we here to party? Yeah. <laughs> right. But that, that that's that's the pool I, option, right? Like a bucket of ice. Right. Just like a bunch of beers, like yeah. smash them in ice. You don't even need glass or plastic, and it's right there. They can serve themselves, and yep. a little bit festive and. Uh, groove koozies. You know, I forgot those. I brought you guys some t-shirts, but I forgot the koozies. That's all right. But you 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 made them up. Good. Wait, we yeah. got t-shirts. Yeah, you got hey, buy as much Groove wine as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it is it just for the record. It is I that love easy to buy us. <laughs> we love swag. swag, and these are the best wines I've ever had. Period. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wrap it up, Ryan. All right, hey, uh, subscribe, thanks. review. I where I, you get things on social media, and I hope this, I hope the sound was okay because it's the first time me right. running the board, and John's not here to keep the the, uh, the inmates have taken over the asylum as usual right Brian's finding music on his phone to play at the microphone because that's our level of technological expertise and if you've made it this far thank you uh, listen to old episodes at winemakerspod.com and uh, go get your groove on